0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Jeremiah. Today, we begin in chapter one with the call and commission of Jeremiah. Now, if you have not looked at that brief introduction that we did for the book of Jeremiah, go and take a look at that now. So you'll get a basic understanding of who the prophet was and exactly to whom he was speaking to the time period that he was speaking, and all of the events that are related to these things. But nevertheless, as we get to certain prophecies or places in Jeremiah, we'll talk about exactly uh, the times of those events and the happenstances of what was going on at that particular time anyway. But the intro is always good to have. All right, so now let's just get started. Jeremiah chapter 1, it is not a long chapter, So it should be a pretty much short video and uh, we should be able to complete it in just one sitting. Let's start. Jeremiah 1, the words of the the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim son of Josiah, king of Judah until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Okay, so Jeremiah opens his prophet prophecy in dealing with the period to the which his prophecy is covered. Now he basically dealt with the period of the kings of the Jews, uh, kings of Judah, I'm sorry. Kings of Judah, but we're speaking of the period of his prophecy, but we understand. I think it's like Jeremiah chapter 39 and other chapters to the which that Jeremiah prophesied beyond this time. In other words, when he talks about, okay. When he talks about the coming, uh, the days of his prophecy, beginning in the days of Josiah, this sets a time roughly around 627 B.C. And this was about the 13th year. Josiah came to, to reign at about 640 B.C. So therefore, jo- Jeremiah would start to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. It would be approximately 627 B.C. And then he he Concluded, and, and, and we also know this about Josiah too. Now, we don't want to get into all of the issues concerning the concerning the kings. You can see that like, what is it, 2 Kings 21, 2 Kings 22, and things of that nature. But Josiah was a good king, and Josiah, even though he did not reign long, I think he reigned approximately about 18 years or so, even though he didn't reign long, he was Judah's last good king before we see basically the meltdown of the nation. Now, the nation was already, uh, had, had already turned away from God and had basically seen its last revival under Hezekiah. And I just said I wasn't going to do the king stuff, didn't I? But let me just say it. They had just seen their last true spiritual revival under King Hezekiah. A good king. But then after Hezekiah, we find the son of Hezekiah, that is Manasseh we're referring to, who had the longest reign as the king of Judah, I think like 55 years. And Manasseh, his name literally means to forget. And that's exactly what he did. He forgot the works of his father, that is of Hezekiah. And he literally undid everything and he brought in a uh, grievance, a uh, grievous idolatry and all types of wickedness into Jerusalem, even into the temple uh, courtyards of Jerusalem, into the temple itself. He brought all kinds of wickedness to the point that even though, and I wasn't supposed to do it, but let me just say it, even though later on, because because we'll find out that Manasseh was later on imprisoned, but during his imprisonment, Manasseh turned to the Lord, and Manasseh actually repented and tried to undo some of the wickedness that he had done. But it was done to such an extent, it, it was basically no good, so he could not undo all the things that he did even though he himself, later on in life, Turn to God. Now that's a wonderful lesson within itself. But so from, from Manasseh, then you, after the Manasseh's time, all right, then you get Josiah who's to come, you know, his father would be Ammon and Ammon then it's Josiah, but we're not gonna get through all of the lineages. But Josiah, this particular king that we're talking about here, and he was a good king. However, even though Josiah made wonderful and powerful reforms, not only in Jerusalem, in in Judah, but even to the skirts, the outskirts of Israel itself, the northern part, because we remember that it was under uh, the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, that the nation had split many years ago, many years previously. You had what? The north, which was already destroyed by now, called Samaria or also called Ephraim had already been destroyed by the Assyrians 722 B.C. And then then after that, we have Jerusalem, which is the south. All right. And it continues on up until this time. And this is whom Jeremiah is a prophet uh, unto. That is Jerusalem during this time. But the point is, so Josiah made many reforms, but the reforms of Josiah were not truly Heartfelt spiritual reforms, even though they were in line with the law of God that they discovered, and we ain't gonna get into all of that either. <laughs> when when the when the priest Hilkiah came to Josiah and said, "I have found the book of the law," uh, uh, and then Josiah, after understanding these things, made the reforms. Okay, so we, he, those reforms that he made for the most part, were simply mechanical. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. The people did not go through that spiritual uh, revival that they had under Hezekiah. They just simply obeyed because Josiah made them obey. And because of this, it was not truly heartfelt and it didn't last. And after the death of Josiah, Josiah got killed in a battle with Egypt. He was killed by Pharaoh Nico II after Josiah was killed in battle the 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 kings that followed him thereafter Jehoahaz who didn't last too long Jehoakin, then Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah those kings every king that followed Josiah was an evil king and was not worthy of the throne of David. Okay. So we see the period that Jeremiah is talking about. And I'm sorry, guys, I get hung up sometimes in the history that he talked about the period to the which he prophesied. He breaks it down. He calls it first the word of the Lord in the days of Josiah. And then notice there's a kind of a, a, a separation. When he makes it about it also in the days of verse number three, Jehoiakim, even to the 11th year of Zedekiah, who was the final King. Okay. And it is this, this period, the period from Jehoiakim to to Zedekiah, that particular period of those Kings, that things just began to ultimately collapse and the nation had entered into a period uh, 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 of no return. Judgment was inevitable. Okay. And that's the idea. And we see that, um, period being broken up from the, from Josiah, the good king until Jehoiakim to Zedekiah, all those kings and the kings in between were bad kings. All right. And this led up to the final destruction of, of Jerusalem uh, in 586 BC by, by the Babylonians. And that's what he's speaking of when he says until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month, that is roughly July, August, 586 BC. Now, in, in verse number one, it said that Jeremiah was the, his father was Hilkiah. We don't know exactly who Hilkiah was, with the exception that Hilkiah was of the priestly descendants of Aaron. If you've been watching the videos, we've been talking about uh, the consecration and ordination of the priests, and we've been talking about how they are of the line of Aaron. Aaron comes from the family of Levi, from from, from the tribe of Levi. From the tribe of Levite, within that tribe is a, one particular family, Aaron and his sons, and is therefore from Aaron and his sons will come the priest. And this is also uh, whom Jeremiah descended from. His father, Hilkiah, was of the priest. And these were the ones who were in Anathoth, a land that was given to the priest by Jeremiah. It was a city in the land of Benjamin. you know Benjamin was the very small tribe. Okay, so we've dealt with, uh, and this Hilkiah, since you heard me talk about um, Hilkiah, the priest that found the tablet of the law uh, during the reign of Josiah, it is unlikely that this is Jeremiah's father. Hilkiah seems to be more of a common name that were given to a number of people during that particular time. Okay, so he opens it up, He identifies himself from the priestly line and also, too, we also made note of this in the introduction, even though Jeremiah was of the priestly family, there is no indication whatsoever that he entered into priestly service, that he served in the capacity of a priest. All we have that we know concerning Jeremiah is that he functioned as a prophet, even though like Ezekiel Like Ezekiel, his counterpart in the land of Babylon, Jeremiah is also of the priestly family. Okay, now let's get into the call of Jeremiah, verse number four. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God. Behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth, but the Lord said, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you shall speak. Now let's, let's, let's stop here and deal with the commission or the call of Jeremiah. God appeals to Jeremiah, and we understand this to be in somewhat of a vision, as we note that it that that seems to be the idea that will be the remainder of the text in chapter one, the uh, furthering visions uh, in pertaining to his prophetic ministry, visions relating to the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah. So it seems that this is also a vision too. But the point is, God speaks of his knowledge of Jeremiah before he was born, this has, okay, this speaks of election. Now I'm not going to get into uh, the possible nuances that you can derive from these things. But nevertheless, one thing, one principle thing that is uh, that is obvious is the principle of election. Now I understand that this is the call of Jeremiah to the prophetic office, However, there is a principle understanding that applies to all who know God. That is all whom God has known. And when did God, let's get to Jeremiah. When did God know Jeremiah? Notice what he said before I formed you in the womb, which says there was a, there was the both. There was both the call of election Election is the call of salvation. This is kind of similar like John the Baptist, so to speak. Remember when the angel Gabriel appeared to uh, Zechariah, the the father of John the Baptist, while he was inside the temple doing his priestly duties, and he informed him that he would have a son and all that his son would do. So clearly, and and this whole idea that he would be a forerunner for the Messiah. So this spoke of John's election as well as his prophetic calling, his prophetic office. And we see the same thing here, even preceding coming before John the Baptist, this is being done with Jeremiah the prophet. But God is saying, the point that I'm trying to make, election, which is the call of God unto salvation. All right. God is not only calling Jeremiah to the prophetic ministry, and this is the intent of God for his life, but this is not the intent of God for Jeremiah in an unsaved condition. This is the intent of God of, of God for Jeremiah's life in a saved condition. Condition. So in order for him to fulfill the job, the duties, the office of the prophet, he has to be saved. So it speaks of principally, foundationally, election, the call of God to salvation. And here is the question, and I don't even want to hammer it out. I've done so, if you've been watching me, a million times. And where is this call? Or should I even say, when is this call? before he was formed in the womb. And we see similar ideas of that in the New Testament when the Bible would speak of what? That we were called, that is God's people, were chosen in him when? Before the world was ever set into place. Now you know clearly none of us were born before the world was set into place. So the idea of election always deals with what? the sovereign call of God. And when did God both call him unto election as well as his prophetic office before he was ever born? Okay, and then he tells him what? And in that calling of him, note he said before he was born, he appointed him a prophet to the nations. That is, not only will he speak prophetically, To the nation of Israel, that is namely Judah, we know Israel, as I've told you before, Israel, the north, Samaria, is no more destroyed by Assyria, 722 BC, okay? But he speaks to Judah, but not only to Judah, we'll also find out that he will have prophetic utterances given to him by God to other nations, to Moab, to Edom, to Babylon, and and to Egypt such as the like. Okay. So he's a prophet unto the nations. Now it is clear that at the call of Jeremiah, uh, he was a young man because he responds quickly and says that in his own mind, he was too young as well as in What did he say? I do not know how to speak. I am a youth. That is, he was, he did not consider himself a man of words, a man who would be mighty in word, especially not mighty indeed. Why? Because he can't speak well and he is so young. So what we see is Jeremiah simply saying to God, not in the same sense like Moses, Moses kind of like was saying to God, well, he actually said to God, choose someone else. But Jeremiah saw within himself because of his youth inadequacy. He says, I'm not fit for this job. Who am I? I'm just a child, Lord. And then the Lord responds to him and says, "Don't, don't worry about your youth. Do not say to yourself, because I am young. He said, know this for certain. What? That you will go where I tell you to go. You will do what I tell you. To do. In other words, God is assuring him that despite his own uh, feelings of inadequacy, that God will enable him to do the task. And that is something that we can always know for sure that God will enable us to do the task that He has given. If God has given you something to do, it is God who will work in you to do that task. And let me say this and always know this, always know this, let me say this. When God gives you a task, indeed you want to do your best. You want to work as hard as you can. You want to act as if, notice I just said the words, you want to act as if, all of this depends on you. But knowing all the time That even as you are working and even as you are laboring, even strenuously, it is still God who must do it. You understand in your mind, I know I may be doing the preaching. I know I may be doing the teaching, but it is the spirit of God who truly does the work. I am just, what did Paul say? We are earthen vessels that are filled with this wonderful treasure of the spirit. We ourselves are nothing. And again, what did Paul say? Work out your own salvation. You work it out. How? With fear and trembling. But what did he continue to say? Knowing that it is God who is at work in you to fulfill his purposes. So, Even though the call of God comes to us, the task of God, and we labor as if it all depends on us, the whole while we know that it is what? Not by might, might of men, not by power, power of men, but by my spirit, enablement comes from God, change, transformation, renewal of spirit. Opening of ears, opening of heart, opening of eyes. All of these things come from the spirit of the Lord. Okay, enough of that. I wasn't supposed to preach, but God just did what he, he, he strengthened him to understand. Don't worry about being young. And we're going to see this, uh, God's continued strengthening him in the remainder of this call, but let's finish this out. So I'm going to make it too long. Do not verse number eight. Be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Okay. So now as we look at the rest of it, notice what he says. God says, do not be afraid of them. Number one, because God, God already knows that the people will resist the message of Jeremiah, whether it's the kings or the priests or the common people. Jeremiah's message will be resisted, resented, and even Jeremiah himself, as we'll see later on, will be hated. They will arrest Jeremiah. And even as we understand the times to the which these things were coming about notice what he said when he gave the times for the Kings. And I don't want to rehash that all that again. It was a time in which prophets had to really be careful doing these pagan Kings. Why you subject to lose your life. But what is God doing here for Jeremiah? He is promising him, protection. So he says, "What? don't be afraid of them. Why? I am with you to deliver you. So here is, and this is a wonderful thing too, because we don't often see this with reference to the prophets. That is God has promised to not only just to protect Jeremiah, but the idea is to preserve his life. Now, this we do not always see in the prophets where God promises to preserve their life. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself spoke concerning the prophets and said to Jerusalem, that is to the leaders of Jerusalem, uh, ultimately representative for the wicked leaders of Jerusalem for all times, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? He says from the son of uh, 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 Zechariah to the son of Berechiah. But the point is, The prophets were oftentimes killed. The beauty of what God is doing here is he is preserving, he is promising the preservation of Jeremiah's life. Then he continues on with the act of touching his mouth. Now, do not confuse this act of touching the mouth of Jeremiah with the act in Isaiah chapter 6 with the call and commission of Isaiah. Okay, don't, even though there is both one thing in common. They are both being called and commissioned as prophets. Now that's true, but the touching of the mouth has different significance. That is, when God touched the mouth of Isaiah the prophet, it was the cleansing of Isaiah from his sins, because what did Isaiah understand? Standing in the presence of those uh, seraphim, the holy angels of God, in the presence of God as they chimed out, holy, holy, holy. What did Isaiah understood? He understood his sinfulness. This is not the occasion, the context for Jeremiah. What is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is saying, I'm young and I'm not able to speak for God. So the touching of Jeremiah's mouth, notice what it says. When God touched his mouth, it was not the cleansing of sin, but what I put my words into your mouth. In other words, you say that you're young. You say that you're not eloquent. You say that you don't know how to speak or even what to say. Don't worry about what to say. Why? Because I have just put my words into your mouth. All you have to do is just open your mouth. I have already filled it, filled it with my words. And that's what's going on here. And then he tells him the basic nature of his ministry, of his prophetic calling, which will be judgment. And we see that, and that is the judgment, not only as we said for Judah, but also even for for Gentile kingdoms as well. And this, as we'll talk about it throughout Jeremiah, this will ultimately come up by the hands of the Babylonians, okay? But anyway, that's verse number 10. So he says what? What is the nature of that message? Notice what it says. To pluck up, as a plant being plucked up, to break down as a builder tearing something down, to destroy and to overthrow. Now notice the very, the the first four verbs that we find here are all in the negative sense. That is, it speaks of judgment. So what is the overwhelming nature of Jeremiah's ministry? What would be the overwhelming or overriding message that he would be giving? What is the preponderance of his message will be? It will be a message of judgment but not only does God give him a message of judgment, but he also gives him a message of restoration. And this can be seen when he says at the very end, to build and to plant. For Jerusalem will undergo tragic destruction, but then God promises, and we'll see that at different places, throughout Jeremiah's prophecy. We'll see where Jerusalem will be promised restoration, a great restoration. Okay. All right, let's finish the chapter out. I think I took it a little longer than I anticipated. Let's go to now the two visions that will allow us to see, and this is how God gives Jeremiah an overall picture of what his prophetic ministry will be about. Okay. First vision. 11, the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Okay. So the first thing that God does in this vision, he asked Jeremiah, he get, this is a vision. He asks him in the vision, what do you see? And in the vision, he sees an almond tree. And now here, what we actually have is a play on words here. When he said the word for almond tree is shakid. Shakid is the word for almond tree. Now, and and, and then he said, the Lord said, said I, okay, let me slow it down. I see an almond tree, shakid. Then the Lord said, what? The Lord said unto me, shakid, shakid. So literally, we have a play on words. Almond tree is shakid. The Lord uses the word uh, shakid, which is a participle, a Hebrew participle from shakad, and that notice the, the the similarity between shakid and shalkad. So God, so God has said, as you see this, uh, 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 <laughs> this almond. This almond tree, Shalkeed, I am watching over. Now, let me tell you how all of that comes into play. The almond tree would, would bud really early. It, it would not only just simply bud; it it actually bud and begin to produce fruit. Some sometimes before the leaves would start coming on, the, the fruit the, the fruit would start coming in. Uh, Palestine that is in Jerusalem. It, so it's a very early ripening. Tree it ripes very early, sometimes as early as even January. And the almond tree was given the nickname the awake tree. The name, the nickname for the almond tree would be the awake tree. Now you can see the play on words, not only in Shaqi almond and shakad to watch over. So, God is saying, like the almond tree comes early and it's called what the awake tree. I, the Lord am what watching over, I am awake and watching over my word to perform it. And so what God is saying is this, the words, the prophetic word that he puts into the mouth of Jeremiah, he can rest assured that God is going to perform his word. And even we can see this energizing Jeremiah in his ministry. Why? God has already assured him what? Be sure that what I'm telling you that I'm going to do, I am going to do it. And he has already given Jeremiah the nature of his ministry. And that ministry is what? One of declaring judgment. Remember, that's when he went to all of those particular verbs again, what? Pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow. And that which God has promised that God will do. Now he gets into the second vision And it is a little more specific as he talks about the nature of the, he's watching over his word to do it. Overall, he's going to bring judgment. Well, what judgment are you speaking of in particular, dear God? And this is that judgment that he talks about in the second vision. All right. So let's finish it. 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot. Facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, the evil will break forth on all of the ha- inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Okay, so the second vision is a boiling pot. Now imagine a big old pot And the pot is tilted with the wind blowing from the north. And as the wind blows upon a pot, imagine a pot on a fire. And as the wind blows the fire, what happens? The pots get hotter and hotter until it brings the pot to boil and overflow. And so this speaks of the judgment. And so what is God saying? He is going to bring judgment out of the north and that he's got this evil that he speaks of. And this is Babylon. Now we understand and we know that even though Babylon was geographically east of Jerusalem, geographically, it is east of Jerusalem. However, because of the trade route and the easy way of moving troops back and forward, Babylon would come from the north. So the way of coming into Jerusalem would be from the north. And that's why you'll see it a number of times in the prophecy, especially with respect to Isaiah or even here, Jeremiah, it would talk about that which would come from the north, the judgment that would come from the north or the king that comes from the north because that would be the way unto Jerusalem that Babylon would come and ultimately, what does it say? It say he would set up uh, the thrones around the gates of the city and we know this will be ultimately fulfilled In during the reign of Zedekiah when Nebuchadnezzar surrounds the city. And ultimately, after besieging the city, the city will fall because of starvation. They just can't handle it so much. And the city will fall and Nebuchadnezzar will come in, destroy the city and destroy the temple. And so God is simply saying he will bring judgment. That is through the Babylonians upon Jerusalem, his holy people. Okay, and when we say holy, we don't mean holy by way of righteousness. We just mean to say the people that God have chosen. But these people are what? Wicked. So let me get to the second part. And so why is God bringing out judgment? He says because he's pronouncing judgment upon them because of their flagrant idolatry. And this is something that the nation dabbled in as early. Okay, even though it was not a national sin, it was still a sin that was found prevalent even as early in the days of solomon remember and i don't want to get into it but just remember that when solomon married all the foreign wives the foreign wives those foreign wives had foreign gods their gods were not yahweh and what did solomon do to appease his wives he made temples so his wives could worship their gods, but he did this in Jerusalem. So, even as early as the time of Solomon, and only this will become worse and worse from the personal worship of the gods of uh, 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 idolatrous gods by the wives of Solomon, even to what? the worship of idol gods by the kings of Egypt. I'm sorry, the kings of Israel and the people of Israel. Idolatry became out of control. Ashtaroth, Molech, they Balaam's and, and all of the idols that, that whatever God that they saw. And and it takes Ezekiel to talk about Israel being a, a, a female donkey in heat when it comes to idolatry. And I'm not going to discuss that, but it was so prevalent that it ultimately led to the destruction of the nation. And this is one of the major reasons why God destroyed the nation in the first destruction, 586 BC and uprooted them from their land because of idolatry. Okay. Verse number 17 through 19, closing it out now. Now gird up your loins and arise, speak to them. All which I command you do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to his princes, to his priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Okay. So in the final, final of his calling, God has told Jeremiah about the nature of his call it will basically be prophecies of judgment. It will be able to end in restoration, but it will predominantly be of judgment. And now God begins to tell him now that I've told you, and even in particular, how I'm going to destroy Jerusalem with Babylon, get yourself together. That's what he means Say, gird up your loins and arise. That's the way of us saying in our own vernacular together. Now get up and get yourself together. Get ready to engage, get ready to go against the enemy and who will be the enemies. Nobody said the Kings of Judah, the princes, the priests, and even the people of the land. All of these will resist the prophecy of Jeremiah. And as we told you in the introduction, they will consider Jeremiah uh, to, to be unfaithful. You know, you, 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 you're a traitor. You are a traitor to your own people because we'll find out later on. Jeremiah is going to tell them according to the word of the Lord to what God is speaking through him. Do not resist Nebuchadnezzar. Do not resist the Babylonians yield to the Babylonians, obey the Babylonians. Do not think that you can break the yoke of the Babylonians and they'll say to Jeremiah, you are a traitor. So, What's going on? So God is telling him in the finality of this call, get yourself together. Don't worry about it. The people are going to give you a hard time, but stand your ground. I have strengthened you and I have prepared you. The idea of strengthening fortified city, a pillar of iron, walls of bronze, I have strengthened you. That is simply to say when God gives you something to do, God equips you. He equips you with everything that you need. If it's a thing, he'll give you the thing. And if it's strength, he'll give you strength. If it's words, he'll give you the words. If it's knowledge, he'll give you these things. You just do get yourself together. You do what you need to do and God will do the rest. And don't worry about it. Let's get back to the Jeremiah. Don't worry about it. They are going to resist you and they will seek. They will seek to do you harm. But what? They're going to fight against you. But what? In the end, I will deliver you. So God is letting Jeremiah know that his ministry will be one of great contention And the people are going to come against him, but nevertheless, God is going to deliver him. Now, it is interesting to say that even though God prepares him thoroughly in telling him of all of the difficulties and hardships that he will have from the leaderships and even from the common people, even though God told him all of that, it's still... Doesn't really help him out because we're going to get into the prophecy of Jeremiah where Jeremiah is going to become so despondent because of all of the negativity and the fighting against him. He's going to get so despondent until he really going to want to stop, want to prophesy. He's okay. I don't want to preach anymore. Nevertheless, God is going to have to strengthen him. My whole point in all of that was even though God told Jeremiah of all of the hardships that he would have, He still was not prepared for it when it came time to face it. All right. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with all of that. All we basically saw was what the call of Jeremiah, and basically we saw that he was called as a young man, and he thought that he was, for the most part, inadequate. I'm not eloquent enough, I'm too young, but nevertheless, God promised to put his words in his mouth and to give him the strength and everything that he needed to fight that prophetic battle. And then finally told him, your prophecy will be one, a nature of judgment. Judgment for Jerusalem, judgment for the Gentile nations. And that specific judgment that I bring upon them will be the Babylonians. And they're gonna resist you but don't you worry about it. I'll make you strong and in the end, I'll deliver you. They won't be able to take your life and we see that in the book of Jeremiah. All right, all right guys, thanks for joining me with that. So I don't know where I'll be next time, whether it be back in the book of Exodus or back into the prophecy of Jeremiah, but whatever it is, thanks. Anyway, there is always, let me bring this to your attention as we always do in every video, If God has blessed your heart through these teachings and you can say that I have truly learned a lot and I have been blessed, will you consider supporting the ministry? There's always a link in the description that you can use to do so. And for those of you who have supported this ministry, thank you for all that you do. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time.